Ezekiel chapter 37. So please go to Ezekiel chapter 37. And if you need a Bible, raise your hand. If you don't have a Bible or don't own a Bible, raise your hand, get the Bible, and keep it. So important that we fill our lives with the Word of God. And it's important enough to us that you are reading the Bible that will just give you a Bible if you need one. Okay, Ezekiel chapter 37. Let us begin. Father, in Jesus' name, we thank you. Lord, your, your word, it's always there, Lord, instructing us, building us up, warning us, encouraging us. Lord, and, and we just thank you that we're coming to this chapter, which is just filled, Lord, with a message for us. It's a message for today, Lord. It was written 2,500 years ago, and it's just as relevant to us today, Lord, as it was then. But, Lord, we need the Holy Spirit to bring it to life, Lord, without the Holy Spirit, Lord. We just look at this book, and it's we don't know what it means, but, Lord, with the Holy Spirit, with him in our lives, Lord, it all comes to life. We pray that you would fill us with the Holy Spirit this evening. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Ezekiel 37, verse 1, The hand of the Lord came upon me and brought me out in the Spirit of the Lord and set me down in the midst of the valley, and it was full of bones. Then he caused me to pass by them all around, and behold, there were very many in the open valley, and indeed, they were very dry. The King James in verse 2 says, There were exceedingly many, a valley full of bones. Now, the first 30 chapters of Ezekiel, he is prophesying in Babylon, 900 miles away from Jerusalem, where thousands of Israelites had been put in chains in Jerusalem and brought to Babylon. And God sent them a prophet there, Ezekiel. He was actually one of them who had been put in chains and and brought to Babylon. And he's prophesying there. At the same time as Jeremiah in Jerusalem. And they're all prophesying to the Jews telling them that Jerusalem and the temple would be destroyed if they did not turn their lives to God. Well, and we saw in chapter 33, they received word that Jerusalem was destroyed, just as 
God told them would happen. They never believed this would ever happen. It was just inconceivable to them uh, that it would happen. And so, uh, among other things, many, many Jews were killed. If you remember earlier in the book of Ezekiel, Ezekiel took his hair, he cut it off. He had long hair. Priests did not cut their hair. He cut it off, bald. And a third of it, he, he threw into the wind, which represented a third of the Jews in Jerusalem would be go to all, you know, all places all over the world. And a third of the, uh, a third of his hair he chopped up in, in, uh, with a, with a knife, with a sword, which represented there would be a third of them uh, would be would be killed, and then a third he burned in fire, which meant many of them would be would die in as Jerusalem just with that kind of destruction. And so, what is left are an enormous number of dead bodies an enormous amount of dead bodies. And what is also left is a nation of Jews who remain alive, who are in complete shock. They are just devastated. They, all hope is lost. And it is at that time that this prophecy is given to them. And this prophecy is going to be an incredible encouragement to them. Now, there's a lot in the book of Ezekiel that is anything but encouraging, really. I mean, just warnings of judgment and and, and, and just in the most gruesome descriptions of, of judgment that we have read in this book. Those preceded the destruction of Jerusalem. God says in the, in the book of Exodus that he will not let the guilty go unpunished. He's abounding in love and tender mercies, but he will not let the guilty go unpunished. And, and the Bible defines the love as long-suffering. God's love suffers long. And for literally generations, he suffered long with the rebellion of his people, all the while sending prophets to them, warning them, you got to turn around and you got to turn around. You know, we lose patience with our kids if we warn them for, you know, a few weeks about their rebellion. He warned them for uh, really the last hundred years before the destruction of Jerusalem, he warned them, it's coming. Really, starting with Isaiah in the reign of Hezekiah and then right through to the end, through Josiah and Josiah's uh, two sons and and then his grandson, who was the last king in Israel. And, the, you know, that he was... Uh, he was um, taken away and imprisoned and then... And Zedekiah, who uh, was also a son, was was killed, or, or rather, he had his eyes plunged out by uh, by um, by Nebuchadnezzar. Then he was brought back to 
uh, bought back to Babylon, but so gruesome. But here in the in the last few chapters, and then henceforth from here, there's all this incredibly encouraging things. Now, it starts, starts off kind of gruesome. It's a valley of dry bones. And he's, he actually, in verse 2, it says, he caused me to pass by them all around. Exceedingly many dry bones. It says in verse 2, they were very dry. And you know, this is what the Lord does when he begins to use a man or woman. He begins to open their eyes to the spiritual condition of the world around them. I don't know what if, if similar things that have happened to you, but I just remember when I was first born again. It was 25 years ago. And all of a sudden, my, my, the Lord uh, opened my eyes to just how dead the world was. Even people I thought were good, just how dead they were. And, and really, it's a work that the Lord has does in anyone's heart in order to really compel them to become servants of his servants, ministers of the Lord, evangelists, prophets, teachers, people who serve. And, and oftentimes he'll, he'll go to this extent. It says he made him, he, he, he made him pass by all around. So he's stumbling through um, all these dry bones. And now these are not skeletons. These are just random bones, and we'll see in a little bit that they become skeletons, but these are just, you know, whatever all the bones are. I can get one of the doctors up here. Uh, Tibias, femurs, uh, what do you call these things? Uh, What's, what is this? Oh man, I'm not going to even repeat that, but, but just, just bones, all of the collar bones. That's a bone, right? Uh, or maybe not. Uh, anyway, skulls, they're just all over this. There were exceedingly many. And you, can you imagine this prophet having to, the Lord, you know, he causes us sometimes to do things that will just make it so very abundantly clear how dead the world is around us. So there's been this, uh, he, the, he has this vision. It says in verse 1, he brought me out in the spirit of the Lord. And, and he, he sets him in the midst of this valley, in the middle of it. He's in the middle of all these bones. He's surrounded by it. You know, you see the, you know, you, you see these, these pictures of what the Khmer Rouge did in, in Cambodia and what the Nazis did in Germany and and uh, just the skeletons, just heaps and mounds. Well, this is an entire valley, and he's in the, he's in the middle of it. In verse 3, it says, And he said to me, Son of man, can these bones live? So I answered, O oh Lord God, you know. I love that. You know, there's just something exceedingly comforting just to know that God knows. And, and just to get to the place in your life where you don't have to know, but it's good enough that God knows. You, you're in a good place with God where you can just be at peace with the fact that, I don't know, but I know this, 
God knows. God knows. Verse 4 says, And again he said to me, Prophesy to these bones and say to them, O dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God to these bones, Surely I will cause breath to enter into you, and you shall live. I will put sinews on you and bring flesh upon you, cover you with skin and put breath in you, and you shall live. Then you shall know that I am the Lord. You know, I, I, I love over and over and over and over and over in Ezekiel, we see this phrase, then you or then they shall know that I'm the Lord. And I love the fact, I love the fact that even after you've been ministering or serving God for many, many years, he still shows you that he is the Lord. He does that. And even though Ezekiel is, has been now prophesying for, for a number of years, God knows he's still, what is Ezekiel called? He's called the son of man, which means he's the son of Adam. He's dust. He, he, he's weak. His frame is weak. God, the, the Bible says in Psalm 139, God knows our frame. He knows we're dust. He knows we're weak. We still need to know that God is the Lord. It was so cool on, on Saturday morning. Uh, this, th- this week we were doing vacation Bible school and I think f- except for Monday, every day it was supposed to rain. And, you know, it was, uh, for me, it was very difficult because <laughs> the, the fact that last year, the, the place that we did vacation Bible school, the, the, the city, the city of Boston, um, we've, we've, we've had these um, issues with them where they've told us on a number of occasions, I'm sorry, because you are a church, you cannot stay where you are. You cannot use our facility. And we've come to, uh, there's been in the past where we've challenged them a few times on that. And uh, actually we won, but this year we didn't want to push the point. So we, we didn't have a place to have this thing inside (laughs) this vacation Bible school. So the whole week, is is outside and and I, and like last year at least one day it poured rain uh, for 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 a day and I think each year there's been some rain but here where God knew we didn't have anywhere to go if it rained uh, he uh, he he knew that we didn't have it was going to be all outdoors and here it is I'm I'm on Thursday morning eating arepas at at uh, Hernan's mom's house, Santa, <laughs> she was making us all arepas, my whole family. And I'm looking outside at 10, 30, 11, it's just pouring out. I'm like, this is not looking good. And uh, and the Lord just brought the uh, the sun up and and burned away all the uh, burned away all the uh, the water on the grass, the wet grass, and we were able to have. Uh, the you know the whole camp that day and it was wonderful wonderful anyway I kid you not and you're just going to have to trust me 
on Saturday morning, I was going into my going into my Bible study. And I said, Lord, can you just confirm it to me this morning through my devotion time that this whole thing was not a coincidence? That and I want to see the word rain or water or something in my devotion. Now, I'm going through the Psalms and on Saturday morning, the morning after vacation Bible school, uh, I was in Psalm 124. I've been going through all the Psalms and I just... I was in on Friday. I was in Psalm 23, Saturday morning. And this is what it says. It said, it said, verse four, it said, then the waters would have overwhelmed us. The streams would have gone over our soul. The swollen waters would have gone over all our soul. And that's what I read on Saturday morning, right after I had specifically asked, Lord, I want to see some reference here just to confirm that this was not a coincidence. And he was so gracious. And, and so after, even after serving him for many years, I still need to see the hand of the Lord. And, 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 and so do you. You'll never get to the point in your life where, where because, you know, your frame, your frame is weak, that, that somehow you can just go through week in and week out without seeing the clear hand of the Lord. And here... Um, uh, the Lord says, just as a, he's doing obviously many things in this chapter, not the least of which is talking to us today, but he's also with Ezekiel saying, I'm going to do this for you. So you, sh- and, and you'll know that I'm the Lord, even though he's shown himself so clearly. I mean, this is a guy who's seen visions of wheels spinning around at a million miles an hour with angels and cherubim and all this other stuff, angels darting through to and fro. Any experience from 20 years ago is not going to help you today. We need to see the Lord on an ongoing basis. And we will, provided that we're walking in faith out beyond the front line where God wants us to be. And so he says, I'm going to do this thing. I'm going to bring up these bones. I'm going to cause breath to answer, uh, enter into them. I'm going to put sinews on them. Now, that's tendons, right? Tendons? Is that what that is? Anyone know? Yes. All right. I got a yes. And and cover them with 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 skin. Verse seven. So I prophesied as I was commanded, and I prophesied, and there was a noise, and suddenly a rattling, and the bones came together, bone to bone. You see, these were not skeletons. These were just heaps of bones, very dry bones. Uh, verse 2 says, and, and they just start coming together. There's a great rattling, and, and, and you get to really wonder, man, it would be cool to see what Ezekiel looked like when he is seeing this. He's freaking out. There's this great rattling. Verse 8, indeed, as I looked, the sinews and the flesh came upon them, and the skin covered them over, but there was no breath in them. Verse 9, also he said to me, prophesy to the breath, prophesy, son of man, and say to the breath, thus says the Lord God, come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe on these slain that they may live. Now, breath, wind, and spirit, all the same Hebrew word, ruach. And uh, so the translators need to make judgment calls here. And so uh, the word... 
in the New King James, prophesy to the breath. Could just as well be spirit. Could just as well be wind. But we know it's it's a it's a, it, it's the word the Lord is putting life in them. Thus says the Lord God, come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe on these slain that they may live. So I prophesied as He commanded, and breath came upon them, and they lived and stood upon their feet, an exceedingly great army. Then He said to me, Son of man. These bones are the whole house of Israel. They indeed say our bones are dry. Our hope is lost and we ourselves are cut off. This is a reference to just how discouraged they were. They had just lost Jerusalem. They had just lost the temple. Just... Tens of thousands of lives had had just been taken. They flee to other countries. In some cases, when the other countries greeted them, like Edom, they slaughtered the Jews as they were fleeing Jerusalem. And, and so exceedingly discouraged, it says here in verse 11, our bones are dry, our hope is lost, and we ourselves are cut off. Verse 12, therefore prophesy and say to them, Thus says the Lord God, Behold, O my people, I will open your graves, cause you to come up from your graves, and bring you into the land of Israel. Then you shall know that I am the Lord, when I have opened your graves, O my people, and brought you up from your graves. I will put my spirit in you, and you shall live, and I will place in you I will place you in your own land. Then you shall know that I, I, the Lord, have spoken it and performed it, says the Lord. So it's almost every chapter in Ezekiel. This over and over. Then you shall know that I, the Lord, have performed it. God knows we need to see his hand. But also when his reputation when his name has just been so uh, exceedingly mocked and his reputation has just been dragged through the mud by his own people, God will glorify his, his name. And, that, and, and that's what um, th- a lot of what this is about. So many of you are familiar with this, uh, this chapter. It's a very famous chapter. Supremely, it is about the reestablishment of the nation of Israel. Um, uh, uh, you know, again, the, 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 the Jews, without a land for 2,500 years, reestablished in 1948. From the time that this prophecy was given until 1948, these events had not occurred. They, the land was, they, although they had gone back to Israel, there was always a nation such as Persia or Rome or actually the British Empire, which uh, was, was over them. But he makes it very specific that I will place you in your 
own land. And then he goes on to say in verse 15, again, the uh, word of the Lord came to me saying, as for you, son of man, take a stick for yourself and write on it for Judah and for the children of Israel, his companions. So on, on one stick, this is what it says. For Judah and for the children of Israel, his companions. Then take another stick and write on it for Joseph the stick of Ephraim, and for all the house of Israel, his companions. And then join them one to another for yourself into one stick. So the north and the south had been separated. 339 years prior to this prophecy, Solomon's son, Rehoboam, was king. There was a civil war, and Jeroboam, took 10 tribes to the north, created a completely different, established a completely different country. So the 10 tribes were in the north, two tribes, Judah and Benjamin in the south, two sticks. And he's saying, verse 17, join them one to another into one stick and they will become one in your hand. And when the children of your people speak to you saying, will you not show us what you mean by this? Say to them, thus says the Lord, surely I will take the stick of Joseph, which is in the hand of Ephraim and the tribes of Israel, his companions, and I will join them with it, with a stick of Judah and make them one stick and they will be one in my hand. And the sticks on which you write will be in your hand before their eyes. Then say to them, thus says the Lord God, surely I will take the children of Israel from among the nations wherever they have gone and will gather them from every side and bring them into their own land. And I will make them one nation in the land on the mountains of Israel and one king shall be king over them all. They shall no longer be two nations, nor shall they ever be divided into two kingdoms again. They shall not defile themselves anymore with their idols, nor with their detestable things, nor with any of their transgressions, but I will deliver them all their dwelling from all their dwelling places in which they have sinned and will cleanse them. Then they shall be my people and I will be their God. Verse 24, David, my servant shall be king over them. This is a reference to Jesus Christ, to the Messiah. Now, again, as I mentioned this morning, the exciting thing about Ezekiel, these chapters is that the prophecy is clear that the Israel, the Jews, need to be regathered into a nation. And when that happens, Messiah will return. We just read that. That's what this verse says. So there is reason to believe <laughs> because of the reestablishment of Israel that Jesus will return in our lifetime, that he may be returning soon. He may be returning tonight. 
Oh, please, Lord, Maranatha, come tonight. But uh, uh, this is this is again. They are in the lowest of the lowest place. Verse eleven says, "Our bones are dry; our hope is lost, and we ourselves are cut off." But this is just like the Lord. Man, he gets us when we are at our very, very, very lowest point, And he just pours his word into us, filled with just encouragement and filled with, with hope. So Israel will be established then. David, my servant, verse 24, shall be king over them, and they shall all have one shepherd. They shall all walk in my judgments and observe my statutes and do them. Then they shall dwell in the land that I have given to Jacob, my servant, where your fathers dwell, and they shall dwell there. They, their children, and their children's children forever. And my servant David shall be their prince forever. Moreover, I will make a covenant of peace with them, and it shall be an everlasting covenant with them. I will establish them and multiply them. I will set my sanctuary in their midst. I will set my sanctuary in their midst. My tabernacle also shall be with them. Indeed, I will be their God, and they shall be my people. The nations also will know that the I, the Lord, sanctify Israel. Sanctifying means to make Israel holy when my sanctuary is in their midst forevermore. Now, that word in verse 27, tabernacle, my tabernacle also shall be with them. In John chapter 1. Now, this is Hebrew in Ezekiel, but in John chapter 1 in, in Greek, it says, in the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. And the Word became flesh and what? Dwelt, which means what? Tabernacled. Wow. Yes. You guys are good. Tabernacled among us or with us in the book of Revelation. In the book of Revelation, uh, in chapter 21, Jesus says, I mean, John says, I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be, uh, be his people. God himself will be with them. And be their God. God will tabernacle with them. And, and, and this is going to be the living reality of the millennial reign after Jesus' return. He will be with us. But it's, just, it's not like he came the first time as a suffering savior. This will be as the conquering savior. And he will stay with his people uh, for he- forever and ever. And so this absolutely wonderful picture 
in Ezekiel and the fact that we uh, the fact that we have seen so much of this happen uh, in our lifetimes we've seen all this unfold unfold you know some of the just really cool things that have happened and I've mentioned this before but in about the turn of last century 1900 a scholar I believe he was a rabbi, Eliezer ben Yehuda, understood that if the Jews would ever, if these scriptures were ever going to come to pass, and at the time of 1900, remember, Israel only has about 100,000, uh, I believe just 100,000 people in the whole area there. There's 4 million today. but uh, And the Jews were all around the world, but People like Eliezer ben Yehuda would read scriptures and say, "Wait, according to this, there's going to, Israel is going to be a nation, an actual physical geographical area again." And he said, "If if Jews ever were going to have a national identity, you know, uh, they needed their la- a language. They needed to praise God with one language." And so at that time, Hebrew was a dead language. It was a dead language. You know, the Jews spoke Yiddish in certain parts. Certain Jews spoke Yiddish. Most of them around the world uh, didn't, but certain uh, many Jews did, and they spoke a number of other languages. And he began to uh, work on the Hebrew language since there were hundreds of words. It was an ancient language, and there were hundreds of words uh, that there were hundreds of things, rather, that didn't have a Hebrew word to them just because 2,000 years passed by and there's all kinds of new stuff. Railroad cars. Um, what else did they have at the turn of the century? I, I, by that time, radio. Uh, listen, the light bulb. Uh, weren't there some rudimentary cars? I don't know. There were hundreds of, of words. So he begins working on this. And in the book of Zephaniah, also talking about the regathering of his people, he said, I will call my people to a pure language, which is a prophecy that Hebrew would be resurrected really from the dead. Uh, so they will all call upon God with one consent. That's from Zephaniah three nine. Then I will call to the people a pure language, so they will all call upon him with one consent. And so people like uh, Eliezer ben Yehuda, well, how is everyone going to call upon him with one language, with one consent, in agreement? If everyone's speaking a different language, and how are they going to be regathered into this country if they speak so many language and, languages and so Hebrew? which, of course, today is a commonly spoken language, not only in Israel, but Jews worldwide. It really came back to life. Now, there are some really interesting things. We've been, we talked last Sunday morning about the rapture, about the rapture in First Thessalonians uh, chapter 4, verses 16. You don't have to go there, but we put this up on the projection screen last Sunday morning. It says, at the time of the rapture, it says, the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, and with a trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. 
Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And thus we shall be always with the Lord. That's a reference to the rapture, which is followed by a seven-year period, Jacob's trouble of tribulation. Then Jesus comes back as the conquering Savior and establishes millennial reign. But interesting, you know, uh, biblical scholars look at this verse, 1 Thessalonians 4.16, where it says, the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel. There's only one mention of an archangel in the Bible. You know who that is? Okay, very good. Michael. Michael the archangel. And Michael the archangel is given uh, is given a specific responsibility in the Bible. Does anyone know what that is? What would you say? The Jews, exactly. Israel, in Daniel chapter 10, uh, Michael is referred to as Michael, your prince, the prince of Israel in verse 12, it says, verse 1 of Daniel chapter 12 says, at that time, Michael shall stand up, the great prince who stands watch over the sons of your people. He has a, there, there is a spiritual realm with angels, with principalities and powers. And, and in the Bible, there's one archangel that's named, it's Michael. And so it's interesting how the reference in First Thessalonians, of course, we cannot be sure about these types of things. It's nothing we argue with each other about. But it does say that the archangel came down at the time of the rapture and with, with the voice of the archangel. And, and some people uh, believe that as God is coming down for his church and he's lifting up his church at that time, Michael is coming down and there is a release of the spirit on Israel, on Israel. And so that's when the book of Revelation, you have references to the 144,000 and, and the Jews being saved and, 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 and the spirit of the Lord on, on the Jews. That, so when the rapture, when the church goes up, Archangel Michael goes down, there is a, uh, uh, the, 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 uh, the spirit falls on the nation of Israel there. And so, uh, don't know for sure, but these incredible references, really interesting in 1946, and I, I don't believe any of this stuff is really a coincidence. Two years before 1948, when Israel was established, the Dead Sea Scrolls were discovered. The Dead Sea Scrolls were discovered, and by a Bedouin shepherd, someone got a hold of them. Israel still was an established place, so they went to New York, where most of the Jews were in the world, and they put them up for bid. And the actual people who were Zionists, Jews from the area of Palestine, came over to New York, bought them, brought them back. This was just a couple years, remember. The discovery of these Dead Sea Scrolls, which actually are in Boston now, right? They're on display in Boston. They, uh, all scholars agree that they were date back from prior to the time of, of Jesus Christ, which is significant because, of course, in the 
Dead Sea Scrolls, the book of Isaiah, is the, um, all the references to Jesus dying for the sins of his people. But the fact that two years before the establishment of Israel just happened to get this original scroll and in Isaiah chapter 35, there's this wonderful prophecy that the wilderness and the wasteland, and remember last week on Sunday night, I was reading to you all the descriptions of Israel prior to 1900. It was nothing but a wilderness and a wasteland. Isaiah 35.1 says, The wilderness and the wasteland shall be glad for them. The desert shall rejoice and blossom as the rose. It shall blossom abundantly and rejoice, even with joy and singing. And, and so how, how in the last hundred years Israel has just become one of the world leading exporters of fruit and produce and actually per per square foot or whatever the Jordan Valley one of the most uh, productive in the in if not the most productive in the entire world but that was in 1946 and then interesting right in in 1967 where the the geographical area of Israel was expanded in the Six-Day War. Right before that, there was an excavation in Masada, which I believe is towards the south near the, near the Dead Sea. I believe so. And there they found a, a synagogue over 2,000 years old. And within there, they found ancient scrolls. There were a couple chapters of Deuteronomy. But in addition to that, the only other full scrolls they had were Ezekiel 35, 36, 37, 38, 39, all about just the rebirth of the nation of Israel. I don't know. You can call it a coincidence. I don't think it was. I just think it was the Lord bringing, putting right in the face of Israel. This, this is the word of God. This is my word. And this is, uh, this is coming to pass. So uh, really, really exciting stuff. You know, there are so many, there are so many applications to this chapter that go beyond the nation of Israel. It, it, it clearly as well, and, and we've been, I've been saying this throughout the study of the prophets, where the prophets will give one prophecy, there'll be multiple levels of meanings to the prophecy. But the whole concept of dead bones, you've heard it before, that Jesus came not to make good people better. He did not come to make bad people a little less bad. He came to make dead people alive. He came to make dead people alive. And, you know, we, uh, in Boston, you know, we, we, we pray for revival. And the same thing that is said about an individual which is, the Bible says there's no such thing as really a good person. 
or a not-so-bad person. Everyone's a dead person. Ephesians chapter 1 says, Paul says to the Ephesians, he made, a, he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins in which you once walked according to the course of the world, according to the prince of the power of air, the spirit who now works in the son of disobedience. And he said, he says, all of you walk like that. You were dead. Verse 4, but God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. He raised us up together, made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So the same thing that is said of an individual, that God doesn't make good people better or bad people not so bad, but he makes dead people alive. It can also, the same concept can be said of revival. In this book, Calvary Road, which I have strongly recommended for everyone to read. It's just all about uh, brokenness and what God really desires in us is a broken and contrite spirit. He says he will not despise it. He will not turn it away. Our life and our growth in Christ is just a, a, a lifelong process of being broken for the Lord so he can use us, so he can form and fashion us. That's what this book, Calvary Road's about. But I like what he says here. The author, Roy Hessian, he said, I would like to say very forcibly, revival is not a green valley getting greener, but a valley full of dry bones. Being made to live again, and those bones to stand up a mighty army. Not a good Christian becoming a better Christian, but a man who is prepared to confess, mine is a valley full of dry bones being made to live again. Mine is a valley full of dry bones. That confession, if you but realize it, that gives you your qualification for Jesus. He belongs to you if only by your failures. When you take that place, you're a candidate and you're not going to be disappointed. Actually, the book really is about brokenness and revival. He's an evangelist, so revival is his thing. And so throughout the book, it, it mentions revival. And just the important, you know, we pray a lot for revival in this church and, and for the city. And we have to understand that it begins with the church acknowledging that, Lord, we're, we're a valley of dry bones. That's where it starts. You know, this morning, in this morning's message, I was just teaching on Luke chapter 18 and the fact that in the latter days, the world around you is going to become so increasingly opposed to the things of the Lord. We 
run the risk of living in the midst of it, losing heart, spiritless, as the Greek word means, losing heart. But we can never blame our problems on the world. We, as the world gets worse and worse around us, we can never look at the world and say, look, it's just getting so bad. Look at what's happening, you know, this type of thing. It's always going to prayer and saying, Lord, I acknowledge I'm the problem. I haven't been praying. Specifically this morning we were talking about prayer, but I'm the valley of dry bones. I need to revival in my own heart. The church, and we can stand in the gap and, and, you know, on behalf of the whole church of the city of Boston, of New England, of the United States, the church in the city, Lord. It's a valley of dry bones if there ever was a valley of dry bones. Church buildings all around the city given over to... uh, other religions, other spiritual practices, foreign gods in some of these churches, literally just worshiping foreign deities in, in Unitarian churches. It's anything goes, any deity you want to bring in. Many of the churches in the city and in this region were turned over to the Unitarian denomination, which is it's more or less anything goes. Lord, we're a valley of dry bones. Bring revival to us, Lord. And, 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 and you know, if God is good, and he is, the Bible says repeatedly, that is his character, he'll bring us right through that valley. And Ezekiel, we just read this evening, again, what does it say in verse 2? It says, he caused me. He caused me. He set me down in the middle of the valley of dry bones and he caused me to pass by all of them. And if God is good and we know that he is, he'll, he'll cause us to walk through this valley of dry bones and see its spiritual condition so that we may stand in the gap. And I'm not talking about the world now. I'm talking about the church. The world is the way it is today because many years ago, the church abdicated its responsibility of teaching the Word of God. That's what happened in Boston. And so this wonderful principle, not only as an individual, that we're all dead, we need to be born a second time, born again, Jesus makes dead people alive, but as a church, as a people, 